Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of Daily Mirror and Tom Hopkinson of the Sunday Mirror. It's easy to warm to Jurgen Klopp. Likes a pint down the local, delivers killer lines with a smile. But ultimately, he's judged by cold, hard results. Liverpool still can't defend set pieces. They're under instant pressure in the Champions League. Hoffenheim. Worst possible draw for them? It's certainly the draw that they wouldn't have wanted. I, 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 maybe I've become a little bit arrogant and conceited in that English Not way. That no, 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 no. <laughs> I always think that we'll get through. Um, because English clubs have had such a good record in in these what ultimately are playoffs, um, we, we always think of the top four, don't we, as guaranteed Champions League football into the Champions League places. Well, they're not anymore, are they? They are genuine playoffs. But I think it dates back to you know 2004 and Everton, doesn't it, and Villarreal slipping up. Mm. Um, that that really it's it's a very very difficult I think uh, you know tie for for Liverpool at this stage of the season. I would still make them favourites. I guarantee you that Hoffenheim will go into it thinking, blimey, we've really got our work cut out to a much greater degree than, than Liverpool will be thinking in reverse. But it's all about defending. And I'm so surprised at the way that sort of Liverpool conceded those goals because you, you would think that surely he's got sort of the defence drilled a bit better. He's given Moreno a lifeline, hasn't he? He's kind of Lovren, the st- doubts are still there. And you wonder where, you know, sort of Liverpool obviously tried to improve their defence over, over the course of the summer. And it really looks as if they haven't, either through personnel or as a unit. And that's the biggest concern. It's a huge game for Klopp. And you look at it, Tom, you know, you're at Watford on Saturday. The same old problems in defence. Is it zonal marking the issue or is it, does Klopp not do enough work on the training ground? I think zonal marking has to take the blame. I mean, we were all we were all incredulous, really. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe it. The the first goal, you've got Akaka, the biggest fella on the pitch, uh, being picked up in the zonal marking system on Saturday by Firmino. Now, you know, uh, he's five foot two. What is he? You know, about ten stone wet through. It's just never going to work. Akaka is always going when he's got the run on him. He's always going to take him out and and uh, and win the header in in a really dangerous area. And I, I just it just seems as, as John's just touched on. They don't they haven't learned from the mistakes they they've made. Um, and you know you've spent all summer, even if Klopp has spent all summer working on. Uh, defending the, the problem position for him last year to concede a goal seven or eight minutes into the first game of the season in such a fashion 
I just worry that that set the tone. I have to say they were excellent going forward, very exciting in attack. Mane's goal was superb, and so there's plenty, as there was last season, plenty of hope that uh, they will do well from that. But what defensively, was, there are still those problems. What there. was Klopp's mood like afterwards? He was a bit, you know, we talk about him being really laid back, but I'm sensing there's a bit of tetchiness coming in there. Yeah, he's, he's not laid back um, immediately after a game. And we did say you sometimes wonder what his, his uh, team talk might be like after the game because he's so intense, so hyped up. We, you ask him a question and you almost, when he's given his answer, he's, he's jumped around from so many different, uh, on so many different points and everything that's going on in his head to tell you that you sometimes think, well, I've got to listen to that back now on my tape to, to fully understand what, what he's just told us. Um, I, I, think the, I think the laid back persona, you know, I think it's, it's, it's obviously there, but you don't get to the level that, that Jurgen Klopp has managed at football wise and, and not have uh, quite an intense side of that character as well. Mm. Be a lot of focus on Klopp obviously going back to Germany, but also on uh, Julian Nagelsmann, a Bundesliga mm. manager at 29. Now that simply wouldn't happen here, would it? No, it would be seen as uh, just unworkable. Would he gain the respect of the dressing room? How would he handle those players? I think it is an open-minded sort of an approach to it, but he really is catching, uh, you know, attention, isn't he? But by mm. results. I mean, Hoffenheim to, to even have got this far, he, you know, he's done extremely well to, to get there forward. Talking long-term, a Bayern manager, maybe. Yeah, well, I, I think because he started so young, um, then he gives himself one hell of an opportunity, doesn't he? But I like the way that he comes across in, in interviews, you know, there's a few profile pieces already um, written on him, simply because he, d he does catch the eye because of that age, and immediately he's been thinking, of, you know, he's been seen as the next big thing out of Germany because Germany has produced some wonderful young coaches you know it really has I mean I'm thinking of Klopp and it was always that sort of the, it seemed to be moving in that direction the next off the off the block Wagner then obviously catching the eye um, as, as well and you know Roger Schmidt I think you know at Leverkusen did extremely well so there seems to be a young mm. breed of coaches Thomas Tuchel as well you absolutely know, I think he'll end up in the Premier League Tuchel. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I can understand that because it, I think his style of football and his style of management, I think, would suit the English game. He's rather combustible, isn't he, I think, and sort of argumentative, as we saw in his sort of kind of, you know, sort of final season. That never work in the Premier League then, would it? <laughs> well, he's, ma he's made for it, isn't he? Yeah, and yeah. I think, you know, I do think now that Hoffenheim have made themselves very noticeable by the age and the, the unique nature of, the, of this young manager who's obviously, you know, if he can overturn Klopp, Imagine the headlines and imagine the focus on him in Germany. He'll cut himself with something even more special. There's, there's a lot of pressure on Jurgen Klopp as well this season. So, you know, if, if it doesn't work out for him this year, then there could well be an opening at a club like Liverpool in a year's time. And I mean, the, the Coutinho situation will be fascinating because if mm. the club relent, uh, you know, they, they were very firm in, in their. Have they backed themselves into the corner by doing that? Yeah. Yes, they have, but I still think it's a corner they can get out of in, in some ways because if Barcelona do get their money up to 110, 120 million pounds their offer, then I think a lot of Liverpool fans would understand it and say, actually, do you know what? That that is great business for Philippe Coutinho. As I said, they look they look really exciting going forward. Without but don't they look him. at the league table rather than the bank balance? Yeah, but I think they also look at look if, if we, we're not thinking here that Jurgen Klopp has not got two or three. He'll have a list, won't he, in his office. Mm. We've all seen managers' office. They'll have a list of two, three, four players for every position that they think, if we were to lose a player, we need to go and get one of those. Now, he has already got 
several of those. He will have them lined up. This situation, it hasn't just materialised over the last couple of days. It's been ongoing. They will have known about it for, for weeks now. So I, I think that at the moment, I think it's just a negotiating um, uh, strategy from FSG. Uh, have they backed themselves into a corner? Yes, they've gone very firm, but I think, you know, as I say, if, if, if they get 120 million, they can go out and say to the fans, look, well, we'll bring in three or four players, three, three uh, £40 million players who will really give us a, a much better chance of progressing in the Premier League, but also in Europe as well. What about the influence of an agent in all this, John? You know, we've got Keir Jurabchan involved in this particular deal, famous, some would say infamous agent. Uh, already you've got these you know, quite convenient stories about family members saying, well, he's not been happy for six months and he doesn't really like Klopp, etc., etc. Are we going to hear a lot more of that until August the 31st? I think we probably will. And it's so surprising, you know, because I could have sworn I read an interview <laughs> sort of last year, was it, when he signed it? And he was saying how happy he was in Liverpool, how much he loved the club, <laughs> how he certainly didn't need a buyout clause because nothing could be further from the truth um, about him sort of wanting to leave. He was there for the long term. And that seems to have been a remarkable change around <laughs> since Barcelona have come calling. Call, him, call me a cynic, if you will. But it's You're just... A cynic. A, yeah. <laughs> even, last, even last week, Crossy, though, he said he, did, he, he wasn't going to rock the boat, wasn't he? Yeah. At the start of last week, he wasn't going to rock the boat. Yeah. He, that, and that's clearly the player hoping that the club will, will give him exactly what he wants. Have, have we got to get our head around the fact that players of that stature are going to be as interchangeable as managers? In other words, they spend two or three years max at a club and then they move on. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing now. I mean, you, you look at players like, you know, we know the players who've come through the ranks at clubs, the, the Gerrards and uh, John Terry, obviously, at Chelsea for, for a long, long time. Players like that. And, and I think that's in the... You know, there, there's certain characters who, who can do that. But I think a lot of players these days, you know, they, get, they need a new challenge every two or three years. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to a club and, and you know, playing your best whatever, you know, or playing to whatever level you can get to. And then if you get a better opportunity or even just another opportunity to keep things fresh, then, then why not challenge yourself? And, you know, we're only looking at what, uh, with Coutinho, it's only similar what Barcelona are doing with them with what they try to do with Van Dijk. You know, they're just trying to pluck mm. a player. Well, that's the whole domino club. effect of football, isn't it? You know, and it's ironic that for all the Premier League money, you've got two clubs who are dictating the market, PSG and Barcelona. PSG bully Barcelona, Barcelona bully Liverpool, Liverpool bully Southampton, Southampton bully a small club in Europe somewhere. That's the name of the game, isn't it, John? It, it really is. And I think Liverpool haven't just done it with Van Dijk, have they? They've done it with Keiter, sort of glancing. And it just, it goes on, it goes on, and it goes on. And I'm not particularly blaming Liverpool for that, because I do think it's... it's you know, it's the way that the football world works, isn't it? Everybody kind of taps up someone because there's got to be a phone call to say, look, would you be interested? And that, some, you know, some players or the agent will turn around and say, no, no, very happy. And other players will be completely sold on this. It's not just football, right, is it, though? It's, 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 it's every times. business on the planet yeah, where but, this goes on, you know? But, but we're not, you know, I always think that sort of, I don't know whether that sort of kind of really relates to, because football is such a unique business, isn't it, that I don't know whether sort of the rest of the business kind of relates to it. But I think from a player's perspective, with, with a contract, when, for example, if Coutinho was on £50,000 before he signed that mega new contract, he would, or his agent and him, would be seeing every week pass as a financial drop. And basically that's why he was so keen to sign that new contract. Not, in my view, because he was committed to Liverpool and making Anfield 
the greatest fortress that, you know the football world has ever seen. It's because he was losing money. So as it's, he ca saw it's it. cash rather than challenge. Then. Of course it is, and th and that's the, the the fact of the matter is. And and basically, if another club had come in for him, it wasn't so attractive. He would have said, "Well, I'm committed to Liverpool, no problem." And A better offer comes in. And he wants to go and do it. You can't really blame him for that. But I, I disagree with you, Tom, in, in as much as that. I think if FSG, once they've issued that statement last week, it was so strong that mm. I do think that it's gone way above. And I think they have to make a stand. And if they don't make a stand, then I think people will really write back on it and say, well, you know, Liverpool are a selling club but because yeah, of we, that but statement. We know, wasn't it interesting, uh, Tom? And you, you know, you were obviously there. Didn't Klopp say, well, actually, to be honest, Coutinho, it's above my pay grade. If my bosses want to do something, they do it. And, and that was the first time that he's, he's really changed mm. his tune, you know, on, on this. Um, yeah, as we say, look, the statement was incredibly firm. But then when Klopp was asked about the situation, he just sort of said, look, it's not my decision to make. It's for the bosses to make. And that was when all of a sudden you thought to yourself, oh, hang on a minute. The, you know, he, he is now distancing himself from that. And, and that, to me, said he didn't want to be held responsible by the fans. I just think, you know, if they get big money... I'd, I'd, I don't think too many Liverpool fans see him as the sort of player who is completely irreplaceable. I think they see him as a good player, a very good player. But I think for that sort of money, you can you can go. Out. Look, look, look at look at the resources Liverpool have got as a football club. They should have as good a scouting network across the world as any other football club on this planet. Now you look at the likes of Huddersfield. I know we're only talking on one game, but they've gone and uh, plucked Mounier, who I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show, mm. out of, of France. Now, it's not like he was hiding behind a rock. He was the second top scorer there last season. So Liverpool should be able to go and get these players who they can bring in to replace Coutinho. And I think, I think that's what's think... going to happen. You know, there's going to be a lot more focus on uh, Michael Edwards, who is the so-called sporting director there. You know, he is a, a stats man, very close to the Americans. But a lot of people are doubting, can he get the job done? And I think in this modern age, when you've got a sporting director... You, what you've got is these guys are going to have to basically be more publicly accountable because they're the ones who bring the players in. Yeah, and, and, and that's absolutely right. But, I mean, the manager's always going to be um, the, the man in the public eye, isn't he? Um, I, I, I think... I think there's the lad uh, Pulisic uh, at Dortmund. Uh, mm. He's only young, only 18, but I know uh, Klopp really likes him. Um, I, I think I think Coutinho's replaceable. I really do. I, I think you know I've, I've, I have to say I've not seen uh, him week in week out. Obviously, of, as, as Liverpool fans have, but what I've seen of him, he'll, he'll play play well some games. He'll play all right others, but I don't know if he's going to completely dominate games. And I, I mean, I'm not even convinced he's, he's actually of the calibre. Uh, that Barcelona would require. I mean, he'll obviously improve his game when you go and play alongside uh, the likes of Messi and, and Suarez and Rakitic. It's only going to help you, isn't it? But, mm. um, yeah, I mean, if I were them, I'd be buying, buying Barcelona's hands off. To that point, John, uh, there has been a lot of talk about Christian Eriksen, mm. interesting Barcelona. You know, Pochettino talks about him as you know, the brain of my team. He is a Barcelona type of player, sort of an Iniesta type of player. What about him? Do you think Spurs might struggle to hang on to him? Well, I think they might do in the long term. I don't think it will you know, be the case this summer, simply because I think, obviously, there's definitely been some interest in him, isn't mm. there, you know, Barcelona? But it seems to me that Barcelona are really pointing it towards um, Coutinho and, 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 Dembele. and Dembele as well. Mm. And I think once you draw up that kind of shortlist, I think that probably their sights have changed somewhat. I mean, he's, Eric, I was at Newcastle yesterday. Ericsson is, is, is one hell of a player. He's just as important 
um, I think, for Tottenham and, and their title aspirations. And I think they have got title aspirations, by the way, as Coutinho is to Liverpool, in my view, and, and their top four aspirations. And look, I thought Liverpool would, would finish top four, uh, you know, based largely on kind of keeping their best players like Coutinho. And I still think they can do, do that, but it's, it's definitely unsettled them. And everything that's going around with, with, with Tottenham, I thought was a big test for them yesterday at Newcastle. I thought they was, came through it so well. Um, very polished performance, not so great first half. And I think maybe it's a little bit stale because they haven't strengthened. But actually, when Ericsson gets going, when Deli Ali gets going, Deli Ali, what a great player he is. You know, he's a match winner. He's a wind up merchant. Oh, as well, he's isn't brilliant, he? but he loves it, you know. And, and when he got substituted, having been booed, you know, for, for long periods, despite being, I don't know why he was being booed kicked from pillar to post by Newcastle, stamped upon by John Joe Shelby. Maybe they thought it was his fault that he put his foot there and Shelby <laughs> stamped on it. But the Newcastle fans, you couldn't pay a bigger compliment to him when he trudged off. You'll never see a more slower walk to, to the touchline <laughs> than, than he did because he was milking it. He was loving the yeah. attention. He was loving being centre stage. He is the, the daddy, basically, Deli Ali. Within a couple of years, he will be England's world-class player. I think he will be on an even bigger stage. He'll be the man the big Spanish club. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. And Ericsson's beautiful, isn't he? But Deli Ali is an absolute beast, isn't he? He's wonderful Are we talking football-wise or aesthetically? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I've got a bit of a man on him. He's great, you know. Well, well, you know, we've had a few days now to sort of see the dust settle with Danny Rose. Yeah. What was your view about the way he handled it? I thought what he said was spot on. Maybe the timing was wrong. Uh, he's obviously there's been one of these PR apologies which no one really takes yeah. any notice of. Yeah. Where are we I with think him? That the, the PR apology is uh, preventing the fine running into a third week, isn't it, rather <laughs> than anything else? Um, yeah, I, I think he was absolutely spot on. The timing has been criticised, but uh, from his perspective, was he looking for maximum effect? Uh, and therefore, if so, the timing was absolutely spot on. Um, I was very intrigued by Glenn Hoddle's column uh, in the Mail on Sunday, a man obviously with Tottenham Hotspur very close to his heart. Uh, and, and for him to say he was absolutely spot on and if he'd walked into the dre- or when he walked into the dressing room he would have got a, a standing ovation or a few pats on the back from the rest of the team. Well he was taking bullets for him, wasn't he? It just shows it just shows the way that the footballers think these days. You know, not just these days. I mean we're talking about a uh, former England manager there, a man who, who you know was was really at the top of his game twenty or thirty years ago. So you know, he, he did. He did, as you say, he did take the bullet for them. Um, is, is Eric Dyer completely happy with his contract at, at Tottenham? Absolutely not. Manchester United came for him three times over the course of the summer. He was told what United would be offering him. It was a lot more money than uh, is being paid at Tottenham. Harry Kane, another man who has interested Manchester United, knows what he could earn at United, and he knows it's a lot more than Daniel Levy is willing to pay him. So it's it's a dangerous game Tottenham play, and, and it is a game that will only last so long. Um, and I think what what the only the only sort of negative of the Rose stuff was that uh, you know it was the left fullback, not really one of the glamour, one of the sexy players saying it, because it would have had an even bigger impact. I think had somebody like Ali, somebody like Kane, or somebody like Dyer put their head above the parapet and said the same. Mm. Do you think Levy is on? You know, we all know about him. He's a famed or in, infamous negotiator. Can he pull this one off? I, I think he's going to struggle. I do. I do think. I mean, you know. A lot of people praise him for, for, for the way he runs that football club. And, and you can understand why, because basically he runs a very tight ship. Their, their scouting and their recruitment in the last few years has been brilliant. And they've recruited one of the best managers in the world. 
you know, in Pochettino. Mm. But they are entering... No, no. I mean, it is, that's a strange one. Well, everyone justifies that in, in defence of Daniel Levy by saying it's £30 million, but it's not really because they pay £5 million a year. Every deal is structured. I mean, it's just a joke the way that Spurs fans and Spurs people defend that deal. It's been a disaster, as was proved was yesterday. He's just not, you know, it's like 10 men and Sissoko. You know, he's just not, he, he just doesn't fit into that system. He's been a huge disappointment, hasn't he? But the, the, the difference and the worry for Spurs is that they're, they're facing a, net, a season now where they're moving to Wembley, so they're playing their home games at Wembley. They're facing Chelsea, in my mind, at a neutral ground on Sunday with a few more fans in the background. That's the long and short of it. Last time they played Chelsea at Wembley, they lost the game. They lost it, you know, really badly, and it was a damaging effect. They played Chelsea at, at their real home, White Hart Lane, and they overwhelmed them. That is your difference, pure and simple. I think their next home game is against Burnley. Well, Burnley will go to Wembley and think, this is our cup final, we will love this. Big day out at Wembley. When Stamford Bridge and thought this is our yeah, cup exactly. final. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, they will love it. And that, that's what they're up against. And it's very, very difficult to ask. I tell you what, if they get anywhere near to challenging, and I think they will, then that's again proof of what Pochettino is, is about and that what a good manager is. But it's also about running this tight ship as they prepare to pay for a new stadium at White Hart Lane. And that, that is going to be Levy's ultimate test. He will not be able to keep this clutch of players together for five, six, seven years simply because of the pay structure that he runs. It's going to be outdated. It's outdated now. It's going to be outdated even more next summer. I'm afraid to say they will have to keep on replenishing and going again because Spurs will become, on these financial terms, unless they change it, a selling club. It's not just with the players with that, the knock-on effect will be Pochettino as well and whether he feels mm. like, you know, for, for the last two or three years he's really dragged the most out of an incredibly talented bunch of players and he's taught them a lot but how much can he keep teaching them uh, and, and, you know, and can he keep going to his own well and, and bringing players through who are, you know, Walker Peters look, looks he, like a good prospect. He was prospect. terrific, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, and then they've got they've got several young lads, haven't they? In uh, in in and around Tottenham's uh, first team. I mean, Harry Winks uh, really fancied by the club. Uh, Josh Onamara as well looks looks very very good. Yeah, he's got he's been put out on loan. Yeah, he? yeah, yeah. But but the, there's only so many years that Pochettino will say, well, hang on a minute, I, this I, I've been very successful on a limited budget. Another bigger club are offering me untold fortunes to go and I can not only use that money but I can also use my experience and ability uh, and bringing some young lads through and I'll have the perfect mix there so you know I, I think I think we are now on on extra time for, for Tottenham and, and certainly if they don't get it right this year then uh, next year next summer will be a lot different to In, the smoothness of this summer. It's interesting that uh, Davinson Sanchez the Ajax defender let the cat out of the bag uh, overnight by basically admitting yeah I've been talking to Pochettino Tapping up anyone, by the way. Uh, Ajax have turned down 35. They want to try and get a bidding war going. They're, they're trying to get Real Madrid involved. They're trying to get Chelsea involved. Chelsea, I could see being interested in a, in a decent defender mm -hmm. after after the Burnley game, couldn't you? Absolutely. And, you know, he fits the bill. He's mobile, he's a ball-playing player. He's, you know, strong, he's powerful. Um, you know, he absolutely fits the bill. He's made for football and the biggest compliment you can pay Spurs in a way is if Spurs and Pochettino are in, in for the player and if Pochettino has obviously singled him out and speaking to him then actually he must be a good player because mm. they have made some terrific signings and you know everyone sort of drops a 
Klanger from from time to time, but generally you think, well, he, he he's going to be good, and you know they they are going for players, and and Chelsea need those reinforcements. It probably alerts them to it. Chelsea is so short of players. I do think that we will see a lot of activity in the next two weeks for for Chelsea. They've got to get moving. I mean, they are so short. I mean, it seems to me that that Conte is just almost naming the squad, almost to making the point, isn't he? Naming that bench. I couldn't believe to see Kennedy on the bench. Mm. The forgotten man disgraced in sort of China for what he sort of said. <laughs> Half of China couldn't believe to see him Absolutely. on the bench. It's astonishing. And kind of Chelsea are making it absolutely... They're not hiding away from the subject. that It doesn't have a future at the club. Yet he's still on the bench. Now, for me, that's Conte saying, you know what, things are so bad, I've got to name this outcast on the bench. He is making a point. There's not much else he can do, having said that, mm. but he's still making that point. He's putting Morata on the bench. Why is Morata, Morata on, on the bench? bench was an incredible show, Come on. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous, mm. isn't it? Talking of outcasts, and I think we should acknowledge some good old-school journalism yeah, as well by Adam Craft of the Mail, who's basically doorstepped um, Diego Costa in northern Brazil. Got some fantastic stuff in terms of you know, I'm, a, I'm being treated like a criminal. You know I'm quite happy to stay unpaid for a year. Um, slaughters um, Conte. When you've got a player like that, surely you just got to get rid of him. You? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, look, I, I, it's hard to have too much sympathy with these fellas who are earning 150 grand a week when they can't even be bothered to come back to the the training ground. I mean, when when you're being paid that sort of money. Uh, you know, he's saying, oh, I wouldn't be able to be in and around the first team dressing room. I wouldn't be able to interact with the lads. I think, look, when you've signed a contract like that, whatever, you come back, you turn up at Cobham. Uh, when you're told to report back, you run around the uh, one of the reserve team pitches a little bit and, and just do everything you can, show you're willing and, and hope that the club uh, will say to you, look, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get this move sorted for you now because it's in your interest. But more importantly, it's in our, our interest to get you out the door. Um, I think... I don't think Conte handled it particularly well at all. You know, um, he did say uh, that he wanted him out in January, um, and then was there any need for him to send a follow-up text? Um, I'm led to believe he was provoked into sending that text a little bit by uh, uh, Costa's uh, reply to a text that uh, Conte had sent to the whole dressing room, just sort of wishing them well for the summer and everything. But um, yeah, I think it, it was a great piece of journalism. It's a long way to go unless you're, I think you're, unless you're confident <laughs> of getting, the, uh, getting him to answer the door. Um, but a great piece of journalism and uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's going to be good for us as journalists because it's going to give us plenty to get our teeth stuck into over the next few weeks because I don't think it will be resolved very quickly. Either. And Conte's going to revert to type, isn't he? He's going to be, he's going to be the shouty Italian. Not, yeah. not the laid-back guy we had last well, year. Well, you know, I went to his press conference for Friday and, you know, it's been like a few chats we've had this sort of, this, this pre-season and this summer, where as soon as you ask him about kind of, you know, stuff beyond kind of, you know, groin strains for the weekend, he quickly bats it away by saying, well, I've answered this question about sort of squad strengthening two, three, four, five times. He, that's his stock answer now. He's making it absolutely clear that it's just not enough. It's not good enough for him, and he wants more. And um, you know, he is at the, he cuts an unhappy, isolated figure at the moment. It all is not well, and that radiates through the squad because what he's effectively telling even the best Chelsea players within that squad is, "You're not enough for me." And I think that that has to have an effect. You know, you, you've always got to be clever as a manager. But because you are in danger of isolating those players by, by saying that the, the, the players who were brilliant for him last season, the title winners, 
particularly I'm thinking of Alonso and Moses, who spent all summer long trying to replace. He's now going back to the well and saying, please produce for me, even though in, in press conferences he's saying, I need to improve these. I think and other managers are sensing really, blood with it as well, aren't yeah, they? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to look at... I know Mourinho had a couple of pops at him last year, but, but he ratcheted it up a couple of gears uh, with his pops at Chelsea and Conte in particular over the summer. Uh, Pochettino also had a pop. I know he was replying or that. He, he probably felt he was a response to uh, Conte saying how much he liked Harry Kane. But even Wenger uh, had a little snipe at him as well, didn't he? And, and he didn't have to deal with any of that last year. You know, everything was so smooth for Chelsea after that sort of fifth or sixth game they went on that incredible run and of course we were just turning up at Cobham every week for the press conferences not with any real ammunition to get stuck into him with but this year it's going to be clearly it's going to be very different and we, we know how combustible he can be. Mm. We've got to give Burnley due credit mm. for being three and a half at half time you know which is one of those results you go wow you were you saw Brighton mm. was that a worrying performance by Brighton against City? It was really uh, I think we all we all have such a good sense of goodwill for Brighton, don't we? Um, unless you're a Crystal Palace fan, but um, you want to see them do well because they've kind of epitomised what you what you want. They've kind of been, you know, built up slowly, progressively. New stadium, the owner's a fan, lovely manager. You know, wants to play good football, produces you know players. It's not. It's been sort of run. What we what we might call the the right way, if there is such a thing, um, and I think you would like to see Brighton succeed and do do extremely well. But I just felt it, it was, I was there almost kind of intruding uh, on a private party, and Brighton was sort of celebrating. It was lovely to be back, and it was thirty four years away, and you know they're showing great memories of the sort of the old days on the on the big screens and wheeling out former players, and you know it was such a big sense of occasion that you felt once the game kicked off, they were just happy to be there. And they were kind of innocent bystanders as they as they watched Man City kind of attack them, attack them, attack them. I can remember having Brighton having two meaningful attacks and one opportunity on goal. I mean that really is poor on, on their first opening game of the season at home. I don't think they've got a particularly good squad. I think Chris Hutton is quite open about the fact he wants reinforcements up front. If he doesn't get those reinforcements, I think it's going to be a long, hard struggle. I'd really love to see them survive, but I think it's going to be a hard season for them. What about in contrast, Huddersfield went for it against Palace. Yeah, very much so. You know, on the show last week, we were wondering about Frank De Boer, whether he'd be able to acclimatise to the Premier League very quickly. You know, could he be in another Inter Milan situation there? If you look at Huddersfield, what are their qualities that stand out, Tom? Uh, very well organised, very disciplined. Uh, they've got a good manager who knows how to set his team up. Um, and, and I don't think he's going to over-expect from them this year. I mean, I, I disagree with, with Crossy on what he was saying about... Uh, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how I do now. Uh, he, he, with, with Chris Hutton and Brighton, managers know, they, they will look at fixtures and they know where they're going to get points, realistically where they're going to get points, where they might snatch a point. He will have looked at that even in the week leading up to that game and, and will have known, look, this is pretty much a write-off this game. And when he sees the forward line, when the team sheets come through and you've got Jesus and Aguero lining up against you, it, it's, it's just, I don't think that's a problem for him. I don't think he'll see it as too much of a problem to have, to have lost that game. Whereas Huddersfield were facing a Crystal Palace side who... David Wagner will have known that was an opportunity to get points. Now, they played very, very well. Uh, as I said earlier in the show, Mounier looks like a, a real good signing, uh, albeit based on one performance, but to come in and, and get two goals on your Premier League debut, you know, he's, he's up and running. Um, so I, I think 
I think that it was a very, very good result for Huddersfield. They need to use the momentum, use that as a, a, a sort of a springboard now to, to pick up a, a, at least a couple more points if they can before the international break, just so that when that comes round, you know, they have a couple of weeks to work on things where they can keep the positivity about them. But, but it was albeit you have to the caveat to all that is that it was against a Crystal Palace side. And I'm not the first person to have said this, this this weekend. A Sam Allardyce side trying to play total football, uh, and it was always going to be a, a very difficult game for uh, Crystal Palace. I think they've got a big transition under Frank De Boer. I really do. You're at Newcastle. Mm. Uh, what was the mood music? You've got Mike Ashley professing to be naive, which I've struggled to struggle with, to be perfectly honest. Not too many naive billionaires around. <laughs> no, there aren't other. And you've got Rafa claiming to be 100% committed, but obviously frustrated. Mm. Where's that going to end up? I think it's going to end up badly, because it felt to me like Mike Ashley, who we were told yesterday that basically Rafa and Mike Ashley have, have basically not met since May. So Mike Ashley was finally at the game yesterday. That's mad, isn't so it? So you'd like to think that, I mean, they certainly didn't pre-match, but like, like to think they sort of kind of had a chat post-match. I mean, it, it, Mike Ashley then talked about regrets in, in getting rid of various managers, particularly uh, the interesting one for me was Allardyce, saying that he binned him too soon. Um, which which I, I think Allardyce is a big personality, so is Benitez, and I think Benitez is what Newcastle need to keep them up because they were competitive to a degree until you know John Joe Shelby's moment of madness and gets himself sent off Newcastle down to 10. Well, they're never going to get anything from the game from there. But until then, they were set up well, they were competitive, they were well-organised defensively, and, and Ashley simply cannot allow another manager to, to go again. The problem, I think, for Ashley, and being sympathetic towards him, if I may, um, is, is that Benitez, I feel he's one of those managers who's never going to be enough. So even if they sign five this week, then he will still want eight. And it's just, it, it, he's always been like that. He's been a political animal for the, for the whole of his career. And that, that kind of dynamic between Ashley and Benitez, it is, it's com very combustible, it's very excitable. And I think it will end in disaster somewhere <laughs> along the line. But I think that Ashley needs to realise that you need to placate a manager like Benitez because you're not at Newcastle going to get as, as good a quality as manager like that very easily and if they allow Benitez to go in a strop before the end of the window or after the window then I'm sorry but Newcastle are only going to go one way and that's down. They need to keep Benitez and they need to keep him happy. Quite how you do that is anyone's guess but Ashley needs to learn from those mistakes that he was talking about yesterday. Mike, can I just yeah. just pick up on, on the fact that you, you say it's mad that uh, Ashley hasn't seen Benitez since well, it's May? Strange, isn't well, it? well, but but then has you know will Guardiola? How many meetings face to face will he have had with Sheikh Mansour? You know, and this is why Lee Chan is in his position. He's the man who is there to to manage the football club along you know from the paperwork side of things uh, or the off the field side of things. Uh, just as Khaldun Al Mubarak is at. Manchester City as well, so I don't, you know, I think, I think from, from Ashley's perspective, well, I, think I, I think that's probably you know, a bit harsh to say. I think there's greater respect for, let's say, you know, the, you know, the Spanish um, chief exec and, uh, you know, Beguristan and Serrano at, at City with he, you know, Pep Guardiola, that would be a, a relationship of equals. Mm. Benitez and Charnley, who's, let's be honest with this, hasn't covered himself in glory over the years, I can't see that same respect. But, that, but that's, where, that's where Mike Ashley, then, he should have put 
a, a more prominent, more Correct. powerful figure in that. And yeah, the, yeah. but I'm just the, the point I'm trying to make is that from you know he he owns the club, but on a day-to-day -day running of the football club basis, that that is Lee Charney's job, and he. If he's not doing his job properly, then then he either needs to a step up and make sure he is doing it uh, far better than he is, or, or be be told he's uh, he's stepping aside. Yeah. Let's look at Arsenal, mm. John. Yeah. An amazing start to the season that game. Uh, we had um, Arsene Wenger in anguish after about an hour, <laughs> and he obviously you, know, you spoke to him afterwards. Was there a sense of relief, satisfaction, self-justification? Relief, I think, was the biggest thing. To be honest, I think that I, th I think he, you know, it's been such a demanding summer so far, hasn't it? That I think sometimes you've got to you've got to praise it and say it was an absolute game of outstanding quality, mm. and that they were great going forward. I mean, he reeled off some stats. I think it was twenty-seven shots, wasn't it, mm. that he was talking about in the press conference afterwards? Well, you know, that's as maybe, but. They've still conceded three goals at home, and they could have conceded far more. And he, he made the point it was three goals from three shots from Leicester, and, and that, uh, that, to my worry, mm. would be that, well, hang on a minute. How That's come, not a positive. No, how, yeah. how come you're, you're, if, you, if you're, they're only going to keep them down to three shots? I mean, Granit Xhaka, the man who he brought in to add some steel to the, the midfield, was being out-jumped by Shinji. Uh, Okazaki, you know, for the goal, and and and, and, and then also Xhaka's square pass for the second goal. I mean, I, I mean, I do think that for for Arsenal, I don't understand why Murtasaka, who I think, well, mm. from what I understand as well, could have played. He's a better leader. I mean, Monreal in there, you know, is not your ki def defensive kingpin. He's been a revelation on the left side of the three. He's not the player that you want in the middle of the three with Kalasnac. It's brilliant entertainment. I love him as a player. I know he's had some critics over that performance. His football's answer to Popeye, hasn't he? <laughs> well, he's brilliant, isn't he? He's yeah. what you want. You know, he's fantastic. Well, he's what he's you want going forward. Point. He's not what you want at the back. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, you but... talked about outstanding quality. There was some outstanding quality. I mean, and for Giroud, what a great story that is yeah, for him fantastic. to come on. And we, we did a, uh, an interview with him afterwards, after the game for the Sundays, in, in which he talked about his uh, the, 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 the script, the book, with his life at uh, Arsenal is still not over. You know, it was a great night for him. Uh, uh, Lacazette scoring so early on, there were huge positives, but that defence—it's just Groundhog Day. There are clearly problems that are inherent with whatever Arsene Wenger and Steve Bold, whatever instructions they are giving their defenders, they're, they're just not getting through. Well, that's what baffles me. How can you have a coach of the defensive experience of Steve Bold being responsible for that? Yeah, well, it is—it is utterly, it is bizarre. But does, I do think that it, it, does he not have any influence? I think he does have an influence, and I think he has he has had more of an influence than some people suggest. And I think also it's worth remembering, of course, that they did beat Chelsea in the Community Shield, and and that was a fairly decent defensive display, I would say. And then their their run in last season when they won ten out of eleven, look, they, they've conceded three bad goals, and it was defensive nightmare. Holding had an absolute howler, but he's been a revelation apart from that. And then. I would be surprised. I would well. I wouldn't be surprised if he was taken out the firing line somewhat. Defensively, they've certainly improved. I mean, the thing is that everyone was banging on about sort of Jens Lehmann coming in in the summer and what a difference he'll make. No one would want to, you know, sort of face him if he, if he lost the game. Well, Jens Lehmann has been pretty consistent presence around the training ground for some time, and you know, I don't know what sort of kind of he then brings. I mean, Arsene Wenger wants his style of management is to be all controlling. He is the dictator, and he will run that, that team and those squad 
and that squad and those training sessions as he wants. And so he will want the influence of Steve Bold to be a good positive one on his defence. He will want Jens Lehmann to kind of, you know, be a strong figure and a presence. And he will want, hopefully, to encourage the goalkeepers through him. But ultimately, Arsene Wenger wants to be in complete control himself. And he will want to dictate attacking possession football and his philosophy on the pitch. And his philosophy is to go out, complete, complete football, and if it means winning 4-3 rather than 1-0, then, then so be it, because that's his way. And I think he has brought so much success that he probably justifies that argument down the line. But there's so many warnings out of that game on, on Friday night. Mm. And it says to me that Arsenal playing like that will be greatly entertaining and it will be a roller coaster ride. Ultimately, they won't challenge. And for my money, I don't think they finish in the top four either. There are... Stoke on Saturday, BT Sport game, you know, the sort of challenge which has become a cliche, you know, can you do it at Stoke? Can they do it at Stoke? They can, yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, I, but I don't think it'll be by keeping a clean sheet, you know, it'll be just by simply outscoring however many number of goals uh, Stoke get. I mean, two big games before the international break for Arsenal, Stoke and, uh, and Liverpool. Um, and, and it's interesting listening to, to what John said there. We, we spoke to Wenger after you'd done your daily uh, briefing with him on Friday night after the game. We, we moved into a little corridor just off the press room uh, there and um, he, he was saying exactly that, 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 you know, I know I get criticised for the way I like to play football, but, but when you want to play possession football, occasionally you're going to get caught and you're going to concede goals. So it's just going to be more of the same, but what was anybody expecting? You know, this is a man who... Uh, has, has played this way for the last two decades, the last two and a half decades, I mean, and, and beyond that, uh, before he arrived at Arsenal. So uh, John's absolutely right. Things, things aren't going to change. And the mutiny that we saw at times last season is going to kick in. I mean, we were, I, I sat with John on Friday night and we were laughing, weren't we, just before half-time when they're losing 2-1. We're saying they're, they're two or three minutes from the first booze, from the first <laughs> crisis of the yeah. season, you know, the and then all of us, the Wenger out. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it would have started, wouldn't it, at half-time. The booze would have started had it not, you know, had they not scored um, and, and got back into the game. So, mm. it's, yeah, let's, let's it's going to be a long one. Let's look at <laughs> if we can, John, at Man United. Who, are my title favourites. Mm. Um, they walked all over a pretty average West Ham team on Sunday. Matic, that's got to be the Steelers' century, isn't it? Well, it's just the most ridiculous deal of the summer. I mean, I, I do admire Chelsea in a way. They sort of they, they painted it that sort of Roman Abramovich likes to reward loyal players and then give them a, a sort of grant them a wish if they particularly want to go to a particular club. Then so be it. And that you know he did something with Petr Cech and Arsenal. And now he's done it with Matic. But that's why Conte will be so wound up, because he will look at that performance. I mean, we shouldn't also forget that Matic had a very difficult, uh, sort of strained relationship with Mourinho. And Mourinho has obviously looked at him and said, actually, he can do a job for me here. As long as he can be sort of kind of disciplined, he is one of the best around at kind of being able to be you know, incredibly energetic, gets across the pitch, he's got incredible stamina, he's got a body absolutely made for that, for that role. He puts his foot in, he's very good with the ball, he's very, very comfortable in, in possession. And he, he, you know, from what I saw, he seemed to make Man United, it is an absolute steal. And that is exactly what United need. They needed the player at the pivot who could sit in the six, if you like, mm. and allow Pogba to be the eight, because that brings the best out of Pogba. 
he might, he, he, we might now finally sort of see Pogba. I thought we saw brilliant flashes of Pogba last season, but we might now see Pogba at his very best week in, week out, thanks to Matic. So it's almost like you're making two signings. It's an inspirational signing by United. And defensive midfield players, they might not be fashionable, but they win your titles. You look at Kante with Leicester and Chelsea. Player of the season does that type of role perfectly. But playing alongside Matic in the second yeah. of those two yeah. seasons, you know, I, I agree. Again, you know, it's, it was, it's a strange one. I mean, letting Peter Cech, who has done so much for your football club, go as a mark of respect to another club in the Premier League, a title rival, is one thing. And particularly when Cech is no longer your first choice goalkeeper. Whereas Matic, you know, he would have started the season because Bakayoko's injured. And there's nothing to say that if Bakayoko hadn't had three or four disappointing games at the start of the season, that it wouldn't be a case of reverting straight back to, to Matic and Kante in, in that holding midfield role anyway. I mean, you, you say, Mike, that um, it's, it's not a glamour position. I actually think it, it probably is a glamour position at the moment because the way people look at football these days, it is absolutely the, probably the most important position other than your, your goal scorer, the most important position in the team because the whole, the whole rest of the way that the, the shape, your team shapes around you comes from the positions that those two holding midfielders take on the pitch. Mm. It'll be interesting to see how the English clubs get on in the Champions League this year. Okay, we're starting the process, so basically let's end where we began. Um, let's look at Celtic as also. They're a starner. Long way to go for what will probably be you know, overall a decent result for them. Um, what about Celtic? Are they only relevant now playing in Europe because their dominance of Scottish football is just total? Yeah, but I don't think that's a fault of, of, of Celtic as much as, as, as the Scottish game, isn't it? I think a lot is pinned on sort of Celtic and how it's kind of it's Mickey Mouse. I do think you are seeing an improvement of them as a team. You're definitely seeing them improve as players. And I think Brendan Rodgers is, you know, is doing a fantastic job. And there's no doubt about it. I think Brendan Rodgers and Celtic fans will go mad at this, but he's clearly doing a, a, a job so well that he's destined to come back for, for, for the Premier League. And, and a big job as well, by the way. But I, I think that... I think the problem, the, the only disappointment for Celtic last season was they were absolutely dominant domestically. But having had some heroic, and they were heroic, sort of kind of almost heroic failures in previous Champions League campaigns, the Champions League, you know, did feel, feel flat, didn't it? Despite, obviously, you know, I was there for, for, for their game against Man City at, you know, at home. And, and that, was a, that was a big night for them. And they kind of, they just need to push up on, on that again. And I think that is where that Brendan Rodgers will feel that Celtic can improve this season. Can they finish? Can they sneak into a second or much more probably likely? Can they finish you know, third in the group if they can make the group phase? And that will be his target. I think that's where he needs, probably feels that he needs to bring in and strengthen a little bit to take them up a level. The worry for Celtic is, are they being pushed enough week in, week out so that their level doesn't drop, so when they do face those Champions League games, 
they, they, they're not lacking in an intensity and a level which will make them competitive. That's why I'd like to see Brendan Rodgers go abroad, actually. I don't think his next move should automatically be the Premier League because I don't think... I think a lot of managers could go to Celtic and look very, very yeah. good uh, in a, a league well, that isn't competitive. about La Liga. I can yeah. see him working and, and in La Liga. But whether it was La Liga, whether it was the Bundesliga, I mean, they would be the obvious two. But even if he went to, to France for a year, you know, I, I think if he went away and proved himself, there are a lot of managers working in the Bundesliga right now who I would think are probably, you know, Tuchel, one of them, uh, probably next in line, if you like, if, if for, for a Premier League job because they're, they're doing it week in, week out, not only uh, in, in the Bundesliga or in La Liga, in, in Europe as well. And I think, you know, Brendan only has to do it in, in uh, the, the European competition. OK, very quickly, predictions for this week, Liverpool and Celtic. Well, I, I well, I think Liverpool. It will be a difficult game. I, th I think this week you might even see a, a draw, perhaps, and then that will set them up nicely. And I do think that Celtic, equally, um, you know, it might be it might be a draw. But I do I fancy them both to get through over the two legs. Yeah, I fancy Celtic to nick uh, the, the first leg, but I, I think probably a draw with Liverpool. But then back to Anfield, obviously, that that gives them the favour for the tie. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Liverpool might have to rely on the Anfield factor in the second leg. An away draw for them, a win for Celtic. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.